Welcome to the Lincoln Road Chapel Podcast. We're a church here in Waterloo that exists to become a thriving community of Christ followers. Our mission is to love God, make disciples, and serve our neighborhood, city, and the world. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., and we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about Sunday morning worship, our ministries, or how to connect in community, visit our website at lrc.church. Perfect. My name is Aaron Wester. Sorry, that's a lot of intro that has nothing to do with the sermon, Uh, but it is good to be together, uh, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Um, Does anybody else have a love-hate relationship with social media? Anybody? Yeah. yeah. Amen, I hear. That's good. I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah, I, I love it. I've lived in multiple provinces. I've lived, uh, I've gone to different schools. I've worked in multiple churches. Social media gives me the ability to check in with people. I can log in and see how people are doing even from a distance. That's the love part. <laughs> it's really only the only part of love that I love. Then there's the hate part. The endless scrolling, the constant comparison game, the general negative tone that often comes with the internet, or that that. I have to validate myself by how many followers or how many likes I get. Because that's what we're talking about today is following Jesus. Now what you're gonna do is you're gonna actually open up your favorite social media and you're gonna search Jesus and then you're gonna find, that's actually not the kind of follow that I'm talking about. (laughs) Some of you that went over your heads, it's okay. (laughs) In today's culture, following somebody means subscribing to them that you follow them from a distance. You can watch them, but you don't participate. You don't join in. You might not even have a real relationship with this person, because we follow celebrities. We follow people we've never met. That's what follow means in today's culture. But for Jesus, when he says, follow me, it means something different. We're gonna look at that today. We're in our third week of our series we've called Invitations of Jesus looking at the invitations that Jesus gives to his followers, to each and every one of us, to partner with him and to join him on God's kingdom and the work that he is doing. Reg uh, spoke the first week about come and see, about developing a sense of curiosity where we can just come and check out Jesus and wonder what did he have to say. And then we have a second step, which is believe in me. Take those things that Jesus said and trust him. Not only trust that he is a good teacher, mind you, but trust that he is uh, the Son of God, the Messiah, that he has come. And today we're going to be diving into follow me, specifically through the lens of Jesus' most outspoken and famous disciple, Simon Peter. I've got a clip uh, to show us from a TV show called The Chosen. If you haven't heard of it, it's a dramatization of the Gospels. It fills in a lot, so don't take this as this is scripture. But uh, we're gonna take a look at this. It is about, I'm gonna warn you, it's about six minutes long, so don't fall asleep or anything. I'll be back, but we're gonna watch this together, and then we're gonna continue on uh, with, the, with talking about this. There's uh, so many things to love about that whole clip and that scene. I think my absolute favorite moment is where Peter's like, we should just do this a few more times. We'd be rich, Jesus, come on. That seems like a real interaction, a real thing that might have happened. So uh, let's explore a little bit of the background of what's going on here. So we are at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. It's about 21 kilometers long by 13 kilometers wide, 
When I was in Israel, it takes only about five to 10 minutes to travel across it in a boat. It's not very big. I put it up to scale here to the smallest um, great lake in, on, in Ontario. This is Lake Ontario, so it's about 114 times the size of the Sea of Galilee. That's the size of the context that we have. Not a big lake. See, Jesus grew up in this area. The main industry here is fishing. Around the Sea of Galilee, there were about 16 ports, and there were always boats out on the water catching fish. The fish in this sea, this fresh water, were um, a very lucrative export for the area. Fish was also the primary meat consumed by the people. So Jesus would have known a lot about fishing. He would have been friends with fishermen. He would have known, because the whole industry is fishing. But he was not himself a trained fisherman. Instead, like his father, Joseph, he was a tecton is the word, someone who works with his hands. Many translations have that as carpenter, but there wasn't a lot of wood at the time, so he was more likely a stonemason, because the only wood you'd really use in your construction would be your front door. But Jesus was not a fisherman. He was trained in the ways of his father, like other people were, because that's what happened at the time of the day. At the time of the day, at the time. <laughs> Before we continue, let's quickly look at the education system for if you were a, grew up in first century Israel. So, when you were six years old, you started to go to school. It was called Bet Sefer, House of the Book. Think of this like elementary school, where your textbook is the Torah. Torah being the first five books of the Bible. You would work from when you were about six years old to 12, memorizing those first five books. This is about as far as most people got. And this is also for men and women. So when you turn 12, if you were a man, afterwards you'd either continue in school or more likely you would take on the craft of your father. If you're a woman, you would go get married and probably be pregnant by 13. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm not saying we go back to that. Then we have Bet Talmud, the house of learning. So if you were a good enough student and you showed enough promise, you would then take from ages 12 to 14 or 15 to go through this next step. This is where you would then work on memorizing the rest of the Old Testament. It's about 80,000 words, Genesis to Malachi, memorizing this by the time you were 14 years old. That might seem like a lot, but remember that this is an oral culture. They are far better at doing this than we ever would, just as we would be better at doing a Google search. That's just part of where we grow up. If you were one of the best students at that point, then like 0.01%, you would got, go to Bet Midrash, which is the house of study. You would follow around a rabbi who would prepare you. He would ask you questions, he would teach you, he would grill you, he would do all these things, and if you were smart enough, if you made it, then you would be asked to follow him, to carry on his legacy, to become like him, to become eventually a rabbi. So that scene that we watched is a big deal that Jesus comes and asks them to follow them. It'd be like if LeBron James walks in and just says, I will teach you basketball. Or Taylor Swift walks in and says, I'm gonna make you a pop star. Not teach you how to do relationships, but I'm gonna teach you how to do you a pop star. <laughs> or maybe Bill Gates or Tim Cook says, I'm gonna teach you everything I know about technology. That's the kind of level that we are talking about. It's a big deal. 
Though, however, if you were a rabbi, you wouldn't just pick any old people. You would go probably to the academic areas and you would find the brightest and smartest people you possibly could. You want the best chance of success, so you want the smartest and best students to follow you. But yet we see Jesus goes the other way here. He calls those that the world has already overlooked and who are severely underqualified for this job. They're fishermen. They've already failed out of school. And if you've ever read the Gospels, you see that the disciples live up to this expectations of being poor students. They ask very dumb questions. They miss the point all the time. They don't seem to get it. They're not good students. But that's part of what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying, I still believe in you. You can do this. And that's not a coach in the fourth quarter of a game pumping his team up when they don't have the talent. That's not what this is. It's not a rah-rah, you can go do it. It's him actually saying, you can do this. You can follow me. I believe in you. Even if you are unqualified and the world has passed you by, I believe in you, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can not only lead, but you can do greater things than I. So this calling is such a big deal that the disciples, as we saw in that scene, drop everything, and they leave, and they go immediately with Jesus. It's important to note that first, if any rabbi came up to them and said, will you follow me, the reaction would probably be similar. But then there's this added part where they think that Jesus is the Messiah. That gets them all the more excited. Remember, Simon, Peter, and his brother, and these fishermen are Jews. So they would have grown up, again, memorizing scripture. They would have at least known that the Jewish people are waiting for a Messiah to come save them. We're in what's called the intertestimonial period. There are 400 years between, I think I said intertestimonial, intertestamental. Yeah, anyway. There are 400 years between the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, where God is silent. They're called the silent years. 400 years. How long have you waited for something from God? 400 years, which if the life expectancy is about 40, you are talking 10 generations of waiting. So while the Jewish people might be still waiting, I'm also sure at some context, they're also like, this is just a myth that my great, 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 great grandfather believed. There's always this bit of doubt that's going on. But either way, they were invited and for something more than what they were allotted to in life. So they dropped everything and they went. We'll get back to what it means to uh, follow a rabbi in this culture. But let's revisit Jesus' calling of Peter, as it's a fascinating story. So Jesus starts his ministry at 30. He is baptized by John. He preaches that he is here. He's announcing that he's here. And the next thing that he does is call his disciples. This calling of Peter appears in all four Gospels. But there's some actual debate on what's going on here. Uh, Mark and Matthew, they don't give a lot of detail. They just say Jesus is walking by the sea, he sees Peter, he says, come follow me. Peter says, yes, I'm in, let's go. That's all you really get in Matthew and Mark. Matthew does mention that his name 
has been changed to Peter as well. But then in John, it seems to introduce that uh, Andrew and Simon actually met before the interaction. This seems to be uh, Simon's first interaction with Jesus, where he's met and he's given a new nickname. If you want a very practical takeaway from today, when you first meet somebody, don't just give them a weird nickname and rename them. That is incredibly awkward and it's gonna leave a weird first impression. But yet that's what Jesus does here. He clearly speaks to Simon. He speaks over him, giving him a new name. But in John's account, he doesn't yet say, follow me. That invitation isn't extended. Uh, Throughout today's uh, teaching, these verses are going to be coming up. I'm not gonna read them all because we'd be here all day. Um, You can find them in the U version, or if you want, when you're following back um, on YouTube or the podcast or whatever, you will be able to, to read them. So those are there for your reading, but I just thought I'd mention that I'm not gonna read all the verses that appear behind me. Uh, the debate seems to actually uh, expand when we get to Luke. Luke is kind of the scene that we watched in The Chosen. Because you have this calling of Peter saying, follow me, but you also have this added miracle with the nets and the fish. There are two different theories as to how do you treat these four accounts. The first theory is they're all the same telling. They're just telling different parts. So Matthew and Mark give an abridged version. John says that there actually was some context beforehand, and then Luke adds in this miracle. That is a wonderful theory. It's something um, beautiful about that. There's something wonderful about there's such a defining moment and an impact that Jesus had in their lives at this second that they decide to drop everything and go and follow him. I don't want to take away from that. The second theory, uh, I like this one a lot, is that this is a process. It is telling a story over a few months. John tells us that they met beforehand and Simon was renamed. Then Matthew and Mark tell us about this calling, this first Uh, initial um, follow me of Jesus to say, come and follow me. But then Luke is actually talking about a few months down the road. A different story that then calls back to what happened earlier in Matthew and Mark. A new calling that comes with this miracle of the provision of fish. Both views are accepted by scholars. Both views are, there's much debate on this. I went down a deep, dark rabbit hole of weird papers. Uh, I won't put you through that. But there's a lot of debate about this, whether or not it happened. I'm a fan of the second theory, and I'll tell you why. I think it reflects a human uh, story of what it means to follow Jesus. I think this is actually how it would kind of happen. See, scholars that subscribe to this second theory think that this account in Luke happens about three to four months after Peter has been following Jesus. So he's been following Jesus along, and then something hasn't worked out. Something's not going right. It might just be that Peter is tired of not having answers to the questions, or maybe he just wants to go back to what he knows. I knew that life of fishing, that was my family's life. There is comfort in that. I want to go back to that. This is the identity that I have created. I am a fisherman, not this student. So I'm gonna go back to that. He has taken the safe and logical path here. 
But then Jesus shows up again. And very similarly to what happened months ago, does this miracle and then calls Peter to follow him again. And not only does this miracle, what I find fascinating about this, this is kind of the reason I love it, it's he's speaking his language. He says to Peter, Peter, you understand fishing, but look what I can do in a second. I can do all of that you've done just really, really quickly, but I'm calling you to more. The reason I love this second theory is it's the story of Jesus who is inviting him back over and over again. You have failed, you have left, you've gone back to what you know, but I'm still going to invite you to follow me. It's here where I think Peter or Simon becomes Peter definitively, where he becomes a disciple of Jesus. This breakthrough moment of a God who won't give up on him. All right, what does it mean to uh, disciple somebody, to follow someone in that culture? Well, discipleship is not something that Jesus himself invented. It was around uh, in the Jewish education system. Again, those 0.01% of students who would join the Bet Midrash would then follow around a rabbi. This is not something new. But when someone says to follow me, it means three things. The first is that you learn the ways of your rabbi's yoke. You learn their teachings, you learn their theology, you learn their ways of interpretation. You start to end their sentences. You start to learn the way that they think. The second thing you do is you become like your rabbi. This is the heart and soul of uh, discipleship, of following a rabbi, is imitation. You would follow your rabbi around, you would eat with them, you would I'm not going to say sleep with them, that's weird. You would sleep near them. You would spend all your waking time around them because you wanted to pick up on what they were like in every single possible way. There's an old expression uh, at this time that was, may the dust of your rabbi's feet fall on you. May you be so close that as they're walking, dust is falling on you. That's how close you wanted to be because your job was just to follow them around and become an imitation, a copy of them. And then the third thing, after all this following, after learning how to think, you would then carry on their mission. You would carry on what they were doing in the world. And eventually, you'd become a rabbi yourself and start to invite others to join you. Repeat the process. Since Jesus' day, this invitation from Jesus is still the same to us today. This is still the invitation that Jesus is extending when he says, follow me. We learn Jesus' way. We learn his teachings and the way that he thinks. Then we imitate Jesus. In a world, um, when we go out in the world, we act like Jesus. We try to be like Jesus. We try to forgive like Jesus. We try to love like Jesus. We try to talk like Jesus. In all things that we do, we try to be more and more and more like Jesus and live like him. And the third thing is we carry on his mission. We are known as followers of Jesus, not because we wear a shirt or have a tattoo, or we wear a cross, or we have Christian on our Facebook status. We should be known because we are carrying on his mission. That when people see us, they are reminded and think about Jesus. That is the meaning to follow him. 
But unfortunately, we've created a culture where you can be Christian and not a disciple. As if discipleship is some future step for a more mature Christian, that once, you, you know, once you've been in the church for a while, then you can be a disciple. Or we've created a Christianity that is comfortable in looking nothing like Jesus. Or we even th- say you can believe all the right things, but not be following Jesus. And not be doing the things that he wants us to be doing. The invitation, don't get me wrong, is to believe in Jesus. As Red told us last week, it's to believe in the good news and God's kingdom. But the invitation does not stop there. This is an invitation to follow. An invitation that often might be two steps forward and then three steps back to fishing. This is an invitation that is something done in community with brothers and sisters who want the same thing, who are trying to be more and more like Jesus. This is an invitation that's not about being mentored by the right person or reading that new book or being in the right program or the right church. Those things can play into it, don't get me wrong, but it's about following Jesus, learning his way, being like him, and then carrying on what he would do in our place. The invitation for Jesus, for all of us, is follow me, be my disciple, apprentice under me, learn my ways, do like I would do, and carry on my mission. It would be very long if that's what he would say every time. He just says, follow me. All right, back to Peter. So Peter is following Jesus for the better part of three years. As close as he can, he's learning to imitate him. He still asks very stupid questions. He still misses the point all the time. He still fails all over the place. This is why I love the Gospels. They do not paint the disciples in a good light. If they can do it, I'm like, oh, maybe I can do it too. So on the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, we have an account of the Last Supper where Jesus is telling his disciples what is to come. Now, earlier in in John, we actually get an account where uh, Jesus says, oh, this is what's going to happen, and then Peter corrects him. No, 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 Rabbi, that's not going to (laughs) happen. I love that moment. That's one of my favorite Jesus moments where he's being corrected by his student about what is to come. But in this case, Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. I am going to die. And Peter says, I'm with you. All the way, Jesus, to death. I will never, ever, ever leave you. And then later that night, all the disciples deserted him. (laughs) Not only did all the disciples desert Jesus, but Peter, as Jesus predicted, then disowns him three times. Denies knowing him. Once all the social pressure to a teenage girl by a campfire who just asks, don't you, don't you know him? And he says, no, I don't know him. We call this the failing of Peter. This big moment of failure. But maybe he's just being honest. Earlier in the day, he said, I am ready to die with you, Jesus. And clearly that's not the case. So when people say, do you follow him? Maybe Peter's just saying, actually, I don't know if I do. 
Not the way that I thought I did. Not the way that I wanted to. Not the way that I declared literally hours ago. I will never leave you, Jesus. And now I've failed that. This could be Peter noticing that he's failed. Maybe he noticed that in the garden. Or it could be at the end of the denials. We get this account where Jesus is the next day on trial when you have the, the, the third denial, a rooster crows, and Jesus immediately looks at Peter. They make eye contact. When you picture this scene, what is the expression on Jesus' face when he looks at Peter? I was recently challenged by this. Jesus from the witness stand, amidst this whole scene of all the things that are going on, takes the time to look at Peter because he knows what's happening. So what is the expression on Jesus' face? Tyler Stanton has this great line where he says, whatever you think about God is revealed in this image that you've made about this scene. It shows your lived beliefs about God. Is the expression on Jesus' face stern? Is he disappointed? Is he angry? Or is he compassionate? Or gracious? Or merciful? Then after this failure, where do we find Peter next? Ding, ding, ding. He has gone back to fishing. <laughs> he has gone back to what he knew. Gone back to what he was comfortable in. Fishing might be the identity that Simon Peter has chosen for himself. But the two accounts that we actually get of Peter uh, fishing, he's not good at this. <laughs> it's a good thing that Jesus is calling him to more because every story we get is like he caught nothing. That's literally your only job. <laughs> but notice the similarity that we have in this account to that original calling in Matthew and Mark and, and Luke. You have the same miracle on the same sea with all the same people. And then as soon as Peter realizes this is Jesus, he jumps out of the boat and gets to Jesus first. And many people romanticize this. They're like, well, Peter is just so excited to see Jesus alive. He has to do that. That's his natural reaction. I think it's because he wants to get a little one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus first and clear the air. You know, Jesus, that denial thing, uh, are we cool? Like, before all the other disciples join with him, he wants to make sure him and Jesus are still okay. We're still buds, right? So they sit down, Jesus and the disciples, and they have this meal of these fish that they were just caught. And then Peter and Jesus have this conversation. It's at, in John 21. Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? Now, what, what are these? Many people think these would be the other disciples. Uh, I don't think, I think there's a lot of problems with that. First is Jesus knows that this is a group of people, of disciples, who constantly are bickering about who is first, who is second, who's on the left, who's on the right. They're constantly infighting about this. I don't think one of the last interactions that Jesus has with the disciples is him pitting Peter against the other ones. But don't you love me more? Oh, I don't know. I, it just doesn't sit right with me. I think it's more the fish. 
Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Peter, do you love me more than that identity that you have chosen to be a fisherman? Peter, do you love me more than that safe life that you know? That life of comfort and control? Peter, do you love me more than your own life and desires? To give up maybe what you want and follow me. That's what I think Jesus is tapping into here. He then asks it two more times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Notice here Jesus actually also calls him Simon. I don't think that's to shame Simon Peter. I think it's to literally call out who he has chosen to be in this moment. He has gone back to fishing. He's denied Jesus. He's returned to that old life of Simon. So that's what Jesus calls him. It is just owning that. Calling it out so that he can heal it and redeem it. See, this is Peter's legacy. Well, what have I done to my tablet? Perfect. (laughs) This is Peter's legacy. It's not what he can do. It's not the accomplishments that he does. It's the grace that's extended to him. Being unqualified from the beginning, but called to follow. Having lots and lots of moments of shame and failure, but still forgiven. Peter has learned from Jesus for years, but in this moment, he's now experiencing love and grace beyond what he can imagine. He's going from things he knows up here to things he can feel in here. And it is here where we see the healing and Jesus reinstates him, all with the original invitation of follow me. Uh, Here at LRC, I serve on the preaching team. So the preaching team gets together uh, every couple weeks and we um, critique each other's teachings. We give each other feedback. We talk about the next sermons. These are all the things that we do. And one of the feedback that I often get when I speak is that I don't give, this is from our resident uh, old person, David, apparently. (laughs) I, I don't give a lot of application stories. I don't come up here and say, this is how you're supposed to apply this to your life. And I'm saying this because I do that a little bit on purpose. Because I can get up here and I can say, this is what it means for me to follow Jesus, but I can guarantee you my story is different than your story. My lived experiences, my history, all the things that I have been through are different than all the things that you have been through. So what I'm called to be, what I'm called to follow Jesus more, is might not be the same way that you are called. So as you've been here today, as you're thinking, do I want to follow Jesus? Come talk to someone on staff. Talk to a life group leader. Talk to a respected Christian that you know. Just start to have that conversation. What is the next step in my journey of following Jesus? As Andrew and Lisa, the team, come back up. Wherever you are, my friends, today, maybe you're still in that come and see, checking out stage. You're still curious about Jesus. That is fantastic. The invitation is still for you 
to check out Jesus, believe, and then follow. Maybe you've believed for a long time, but you haven't seen a lot of growth. You feel stale. You don't know why. Your invitation is the same. Jesus says, come follow me. Maybe you feel underqualified. There is no way God could ever use me. Jesus goes out of his way to call unqualified people, to say, you can be part of this journey. Follow me. Maybe you're like Peter, and you've experienced shame and failure. You need to own it and know that we serve a God who extends grace and forgives and still says, follow me. Wherever you are, my friends, wherever you find yourself today, the invitation is set for you. Learn his ways, imitate him, do like him, become a disciple, and follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a merciful God. A God that came and not just dictated things to do and ways to be right with you. A God that says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to follow me. Father, wherever we are in this journey, may you spur us to be more like Jesus to learn to his ways more, to do like him, to think like him. Father, may you uh, call each of us to partake in this journey, to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark would often parallel the disciples and the crowds. Both believed that Jesus was the Messiah. The crowds would show up and they would hear Jesus' teachings, probably note that's a really good teaching, and then leave. And that was it. It was the disciples that followed Jesus. This is a literary device all throughout Mark, where Mark is inviting the readers, us today, where are you? Are you someone who believes and knows of Jesus? Are you someone who just wants to check Jesus out, hear his teachings, but then go on your way with your week? Do you want to just be a fan of Jesus in the crowd? Or do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Do you want to step away from that life you're familiar with and join in on the adventure that God is calling you to? No matter where you come from, no matter what you do, no matter what you have done, my friends, God's kingdom is opened for you and you are invited to follow him. May you do so this week. Let's have a good one. <laughs>
you can visit our website at lrc.church. See you next time.